Amen. Well, good morning to you. How are you? So do I have any dads out there? Yeah? Oh, dads, you disappoint me. Dads, we don't nicely raise our hand. You know, we, we give like a grunt, right? You know, a good dad male grunt. So let me try again. Any dads out there? Okay, that was okay over here. This side, you just didn't quite get the instructions. We'll talk afterwards. We're talking this morning as we start this new series called Re- Reclaiming the Family. We're going to talk to dads. Now, in, in case you want to check out quickly, um, that is a little more all-encompassing because you may be young and you're going to be a dad one day, right? Uh, you may be a, a lady who you might need to relay a, a little bit of information to your husband, um, or maybe you're an empty nester and you're like, well, I'm kind of done with that. Um, you know better than I, you're never done with that, right? And so we're going to just walk through this. So two things. Number one, men, this morning... Um, This is probably going to be the briefest teaching you've ever heard from me on this issue of dadhood. I thought that would bring the the excitement. Um, But it's going to be the most significant. Like each point is really just a blunt evaluation of fatherhood and what we might need to be doing. The Bible says it this way, pretty clearly, direct your children upon the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. You know what the Bible is saying there? Direct your children upon the assumption of right path is the godly path or the path that is laid out by God. Direct your kids on that path. So right away, the Bible is giving you responsibility as parents, fathers, you play a huge role, to get your kids on that path. Well, I can't control everything they do. Yes, you're, you're arguing a different point, right? Get them on the path and then start directing them down the path. Sometimes we either think, I get them on the path and, hey, they're on their own. You know, hopefully they'll make it along. Or we think, uh, once I get them on the path, like I have to just so dictate every step they take that they're eventually going to hate and resent me. Really, the Bible teaches the in-between. Get them on the path and help them along the path, teaching them as you go. And it says they, won't not, they will not leave it. Think of that more in the terms, it will not leave them, meaning this path, this understanding of who God is and what he brings to our life, it will not leave them. They may push away from it. They may rebel from it. But what you have taught and invested will always be there. And so that is our, our call from God. So here's what we must do, fathers. We must raise the value of fathering. You understand what I'm saying? We need to raise the value because in our culture, particularly in our TV shows, right, the father is just a bumbling idiot. There's not a lot of great value in the father. In fact, we get in the way of a lot of good things, right? In reality, the Bible teaches us we need to raise the value of fathering. Now, don't hear us wrong, ladies. The value of mothering is huge as well. But this morning, I want to just make sure we make the point to dads future dads, empty nester dads, that we raise this value of fathering. So let's take a look at, uh, it started off, I was calling it the big three, right? Um, But then as I was wrapping this teaching up, I said, you know, there's one kind of maybe intangible thing that was of such value, I kind of slid it in there, and so we've, uh, we're marking it the big four. These are big four that fathers must get right. Listen, fathers, I'll be blunt. If we don't get these right, we can cause hardship to our kids, even damage to our kids. So here is four things we've just got to get right, fathers. Number one, 
we need to demonstrate irrational levels of love. Do you understand what I mean? Irrational levels of love. Like, it doesn't even make sense how much love we pour out. That's what we need to demonstrate. What is this love? John 15 tells us about it. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for your own friends. We understand this irrational level. I'm going to love somebody else the same way I love myself. I got up this morning. I sort of looked at my hair and combed it right. I took a shower. I took care of myself, right? I didn't take care of you. I didn't even think about you. Did you know that this morning, um, uh, whether you were primmed and proper and dressed and bathed, I hope maybe you were bathed, uh, but I thought about myself. But when I put that love on someone else to love them the way I love myself, and then to go so far that I would actually give my life up for someone else, irrational. That is what we're called as fathers to do. Talk to the researcher. Uh, look at the research. Psychologists. Um, and counselors, coaches, youth pastors. And if you ask, what is the difference in the life of like a well-adjusted, happy kid, they will always say their dads. Their dads know they're crazy about them. Like, even when we do those things, dad, that totally embarrass our kids, I mean, a lot of them we do accidentally, dads, right? I mean, some of them we flat out do on purpose, right? Because we just have that prerogative, all right? But they know we love them at the core of it. Our kids have to understand that. Your words, dads, what we say to our kids, these words of hope we speak into their life, words of security that we speak to them, words of, of you're incredible, you're wonderful, I'm so blessed in what God has designed in you. Speaking those words is powerful, dads. Appropriate physical affection Dads, I know that you can name five movies right now where the gist was some big, brawny, strong guy who never showed any physical affection to his kids and never said the words, I love you. And the dramatic moment at the very end of the movie was when the dad said, I love you, and maybe gave a hug. In real life, that stinks, Dad. We, we want to have appropriate physical affection to our kids and letting them know we're there. We want to teach them what that looks like, time, dads, that we would spend the right amount of time. We would show our irrational love in the time that we would spend with our kids. Did you know, dads, that kids have this love bucket that has a hole in it? It has to keep being filled up because they forget. And if you say, well, I told them like last year I loved them, you know, no good. I told them last Monday that I loved them, no good. We tell them and show them all the time this irrational level of love. Look, dads, side on the side of embarrassing your kids so they know you love them versus staying so clear of them and not saying or showing it. it has to happen all the time. Do you know to this day, I'm 45 years old. I think I'm 45. Um, every time I speak to my parents on the phone, before I hang up, I say, I love you. And they say, I love you back. And every once in a while, we have this kind of awkward moment where, like, either I'm starting to forget to say it and starting to hang up, right? Um, where it's like my mom or dad are paused on the phone. They're like, because they're waiting for that. They know that that's the standard interaction. And I usually say it and they say it back. 
And we always say that. It's so important that we show irrational levels of love. What does this love look like? Well, dads, you already know. It's just you apply this to romantic relationships is what we often do. At our weddings, we read these great verses in God's word about uh, love. But the truth of the matter is, this is a powerful verse in 1 Corinthians about how we love our kids irrationally. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or keep no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It oh, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's what our kids need from us. Dads, number two this morning, these big four, these things we must get right as dads. We gotta irrationally love our kids. And second, we need to set and enforce reasonable and appropriate limits. You can use the D word. We need to discipline here. I love what God's word says on this. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says this, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. I love what it's saying there. Discipline is important because that little blue or pink bundle that you brought home from the hospital, you know, you laid that baby in their crib. And from that moment, that little bundle of joy is just devising sinister plans to bring disharmony to your home, to bring casualty to mother and father's schedule, right? And how many times was it right at the moment of departure from the home for an important presentation at work that that little one would decide to vomit all over something important that you needed to take? It's just what they do. But a good father, a good father looks through these sinister plans, these ill-advised plans they put together, and the, a good dad actually stamps this out and understands that they need to communicate who pays the mortgage, right? And who's putting food on the table in this house. It's mom and dad doing that, not you, you little twerp, this morning. Hope you never say that to them. I violate the first principle this morning. The role of that is so vital that we would actually set up boundaries and limits. Children need to be disciplined. They want to be disciplined. Do you realize that you as an adult want to be disciplined as well? You want guidelines. You want boundaries. You want to know what can I do and what can I not do. And this is so important for our children as well. Proverbs continues on. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. That's strong words to say we have to discipline. We're actually doing harm to our children. So it's important, dads, that we understand to set and enforce reasonable and appropriate limits. A five-year-old, how we discipline, what limits we set and how we enforce them are vital, but those look a little different to a 16-year-old. And dads, we'd be part of that process always. Dads, when we hand over that process to mom or to someone else or to them, We've communicated, one, we don't have any control or authority in our home. Two, we don't function as a team with mom as well. And three, we've thrown doors wide open for kids to get away with just about anything. And what backbone, what plan have we devised to really deal with it? Dads, we've got to be a part of this. However, notice the reasonable and appropriate limits 
Because the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, dads, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate. What does that word exasperate mean anyway? To irritate intensely. Like God doesn't want us to be such an authoritative figure and make our kids do this, don't do that, so much that we have exasperated. We're actually keeping them from becoming what God has designed them to be. He wants us to be a part of the training and instruction in that. Dads, your, your child is not your go-getter, right? He's not the, hey, run out to that barn and get the rake for me because I don't really want to get up and go get the rake, right? Exasperate our kids, but discipline is absolutely vital. Number three, dads, this is super important. After showing irrational love, setting limits, which are important, dads, we got to be an example. Got to be the example. The phrase that we often use when we start talking about our dads is we might say, my dad would always, and you fill in the blank after that. My dad would always do this or that. Do you know that today, um, I'm 45, um, and I don't cuss. Like, like that standard list of words, they just don't come to my thinking and out of my mouth. Now, this is not a holier-thou-than thing. Uh, Rather, this is an example thing. I can't remember in my entire life hearing my dad say a cuss word. I remember seeing my dad get angry. Right? I remember the first time seeing my dad get angry was in a church league softball game um, where rubber meets the road in your Christianity, right? And yet, I've never heard that come out of my dad's mouth. So, at a very early age, when I was starting to learn what cussing was, thanks to Smokey and the Bandit, I was sliding down a slide in third grade, and the, something about the, the exhilaration of sliding, and a word blurted out, and I was like, oh my goodness. And I mean, I was looking around to see if my mom or dad was hiding in trees who might have heard me say that. Listen, this was not like an amazing spiritual encounter in third grade. This is the example of a father. Fathers, we got to be this example. Take a look at what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. The pastor is saying, you are the example. You're the word of Christ. You're the visual Christ for others to see. And there's no one in your life, parents, fathers, who will see you more than your kids, and who are looking intently. In fact, every kid is watching everything their dad does every day. Let that sink in, dads. So what do you want your kids to see? When they see in your life, uh, do, do they want to see, man, my dad serves. He really serves other people. I mean, my dad is so giving. My dad so loves my mom. I see it every day. My dad opens up that Bible I know there's that time. Don't bother him because he's going to be in God's word during that time, in the morning, evening, whatever it may be. What do they see? My dad puts his work aside when he comes home to spend time with me. What do they see? We have to be this example. 
James says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So let me ask you men, fathers especially this morning. Let me just ask you, how long have you been a Christian? Like, can you remember the time where, like, you said, yeah, I, I said yes to Jesus and kind of crossed over from not being a Christian to being a Christian. I remember that time. How long has it been since you've been a Christian? You answer that question in your head. Uh, and let me just ask you, like, today, are you a spiritual giant? Like, would you describe yourself as a spiritual giant? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you'd say, that's too boasting, so I, I'd say no to that. Well, let me just ask you this. How about, like, would you say, I have such a good grasp and handle on God's word? I know what's in there, and uh, not every word and every page and every book, but, I mean, I have a good grasp of God's word. And if those questions, if you would say, how long you've been a Christian, are you a spiritual giant? Do you have a grasp on God's word? If those would be no's, I would ask you, dads, honestly, this morning, why not? Why not? Why have a testimony of 10 years being a Christian or 15 years or 20 or 30 and not be a spiritual giant for your kids? Why not have a grasp of God's word for your kids? Some of you, you probably have a pretty good grasp on how to change the oil, right? Or fix the electronics or whatever it may be. Why not the thing that's of such value to train your kids up so they will not depart from it? Be the example, dads. Finally, the fourth one that snuck its way in kind of at the end of the sermon as I was writing it, increase your spiritual intake relative to cultural influence. I'm going to just say that again. To increase spiritual intake relative to cultural influence. What are we saying there? You've got to evaluate the cultural intake of your kids. Look, just spend some time with teenagers, right? Just hang out with them a while. You will be amazed at the mass of information, cultural pop information that they know. The characters, the songs, the artists. And not just the trivia of it, but they can sing the songs. They can sing the openings to the show. My kids sometimes sit in the back seat and rattle off lines from a show. And I'm like, how in the world do you know that? You know? Sometimes I want to exasperate them and say, we're now doing Bible trivia in the back seat. Um, start quoting Bible passages. But it's important that we would stop sometimes and look and say, what am I allowing my kid to take in? And what is this balance of the cultural intake versus the spiritual intake? Romans 12, 2 says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's goodwill is. What is it saying there? We don't want to be so influenced by our world, our culture. We want God to be transforming us, that we would be able to look and I would be able to test the spiritual, and if God is in something, because of my spiritual intake is so much stronger than my cultural intake. Listen, fantastic dads, they guard their kids' minds. Well, but Tom, I can't keep them from everything. I mean, they're going to hear things at school. Granted, granted, no, no debate here. But what are you doing to offset the scales? What are you doing? to make sure the spiritual intake is powerful. George Bonner says in 92% of homes that do family devotions, listen, men, 92% of homes that do family devotions, they're led by the mother, with the father either not present 
or on the side with not much to add or to say. That's not taking the role of spiritual intake seriously, men. Now, they're getting the devotion. That's good. And mother's doing a great job. That's wonderful. But men, we have to be a part of the process. Men, are we driving our kids to church? Are we saying, we're going to church? We're going to be as a family in church. After church, we're going to actually talk about what we learned that day and how it impacts our life. Over the course of the week, instead of just saying, I'm going to allow my kid you know, to just have unlimited time staring into their tablet or into their game world, that I want to actually institute times where they're in God's word. Or I sit them down and give them a, a book that I'd like them to work through. Or whatever it is to increase the spiritual intake. Dads, this is what I would encourage you. Do an audit this morning. Do an audit of the spiritual influence in your kid's life. Because I'm telling you this morning, I work really hard on the sermon every week. Our teachers work really hard. But it's just a nugget. It's just a drop of the influence in your life and on your kid's life throughout the week. You've got to take it and run with it at this point. And guess what? Your influence on the life of your kids, I'll never touch. Our Sunday school teachers will never touch. You're the most significant one. So audit. What does the spiritual influence look like right now? What does the cultural influence look like right now? If you're a 30-year-old or 40-year-old dad, you may think, Watching this, I can kind of handle this, right? I don't think Smokey and the Bandit today is going to drive me to cussing. But it may drive my 14-year-old daughter to cussing. Evaluate. Audit that today. Finally, here's the takeaway, men. A powerful passage. You may be familiar with it, but I want to read it in light of everything we've just talked about. Joshua chapter 24. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you'll serve. Whether you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I get the picture of Joshua, that that is such an active, driving, serving the Lord. Not, a, not just a, yeah, we're Christian. We believe in God. But serving God and being on his path is what is driving Joshua. Much like the passage, direct your children on the right path, and when they're older, they'll not leave it. Dads, this morning, uh, my guess is you want this for your kids. You want it. It just finds its way down the priority list. So my call to you this morning, and we're going to pray for you just a minute, that you would take these things and you would just re-upside down and rework your life however you need to do to make these things things you must get right and raise the value of fathering in your family. So if you're a dad, will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you as we close off this teaching and then our uh, few announcements and our praise team will send us out. So if you're a dad, stand, and I want to pray for you specifically this morning. All right, dads, let me pray for you. Father, I lift up these dads. Father, what I would know, two things about dads at their heart, they want to get it right always. They want to be fabulous dads. They want to see their kids grow and become what you've designed them to be, and they want to be a part of it. 
The second thing I've learned on dads, and I put myself in the same camp, we often feel like we're failing. So, Father, this, this morning, I pray there would just be, first, a renewing of commitment, an evaluation of saying who I've been as a dad and what I'm doing. And, and there's some great areas, and then there's some areas I'm falling short. That we would just evaluate what's going on. Just be honest with ourselves. And then we would realize, I probably can't launch into being the dad that I need to be without God. So, Father, that we would surrender to you, that we would say, first and foremost, Father, I am going to pursue you with everything I am. Pursue being in your will. Pursue serving you and loving you and letting you transform me so that I can turn to my kids and my cup is so full that I would know how to turn and be a, be a great father. And Lord, not from a boasting standpoint, but, but my kids would look at me and they would say, that's a spiritual giant. Because that's, that's what they need from us. Not perfection, we'll blow it. But to know that the priority in our life is God and the priority is us now leading our kids. Help us to love them irrationally, God. Help us to discipline them with your wisdom. Help us to be the strong example, Lord, and help us to evaluate that spiritual intake versus the cultural intake. Thank you for the responsibility of fatherhood. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Thanks, Dad. So you can have a seat. All right, let me just share a couple things that are going on. Um, now, you might have got one of these when you walked in. They look familiar because we've been handing them out for a while. But I want to make one last stitch effort to encourage you, uh, to push you, to twist your arm, whatever you want to call it this morning, to get signed up for a growth group. They all start this week. Um, starting actually tomorrow night with the women's group, if you work through that. Um, now, you'll notice on the sheet back there that the sheet is full, but uh, the leaders have told me they'll take a few more. So if you want to be a part of the women's group, Monday nights, these run the next eight or nine weeks, get signed up at the Welcome Center right afterwards. Tuesday night, then it's the men's turn. Men, I'm looking at the sheet and thinking, why isn't that sheet all filled up, right? Huh? Why are the women beating us? Or if you want to call it that. So Kingdom Men on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, that's just, of course, for men. So that's going to be a powerful time. Um, and then I, I've been telling you this super intriguing idea of studying five worldviews and what they believe about God. And you actually interact with these probably on a weekly basis. You just don't have a title uh, for these worldviews. And so that's Wednesday nights at 7. I think that's a super intriguing class to be a part of. Um, and then Thursday night is fan or follower. This is like just a practical spirituality. How do we live out the faith in our life and not just be a fan, you know, where we, we wear the apparel and wave the, the flags, but we actually are engaged in the work of God's kingdom. And then uh, two more, the, the purpose of uh, the pursuit of God is Friday night group. That's the one I'm leading. Um, so either that's good for you. Or you're like, I hear enough of that guy. So either way, um, but the pursuit of God is walking through that classic Christian book, the pursuit of God and, and just learning how do I pursue God in everything I do. And then finally, we have a fun group. It's a golf group. Um, somebody asked me, that's just for men? No, it's for anybody. Anybody that wants to come and play golf. It's only nine holes. You don't have to be any good at it. I'm going to be playing with one arm. 
all right? So you, can, you could probably beat me, you know, even if you're not that good. So it doesn't matter your skill level. Just join us for the fellowship. And the way that works is we'll actually pair two people up. We'll give them a devotional, and they'll just kind of hold each other accountable. Hey, you stay doing your devotional, staying in it, that kind of thing. But that'll be the, the component, and the, the rest will be fellowship. So get signed up for those. They all kick off tomorrow. Finally, uh, trunk or treat. It's the end of the month, and I, um, this is just one of the highlights, one of the biggest things we do. It's the largest outreach we do uh, every year. Um, so far, we have 15 signed up, 15 cars. We need 30. So here's three ways to help. One, sign your car up. Come that night. You'll back it in. You'll decorate it a little bit, um, and uh, then you'll just sit there, and you'll hand out candy to the kids as they come through. Um, secondly, you can actually bring candy and uh, just Put it at the Welcome Center, and we'll disperse some of that candy because uh, we all bring candy, but it's a lot of kids and a lot of candy needed. So, uh, and the third is you could make a financial contribution to help offset the cost. It costs us about $1,000 to put on Trunk or Treat uh, that night, which is a fairly inexpensive outreach. Um, but you could say, well, hey, I can't be there that night, or this is going on, um, or I'm doing a car, but I'd like to do more. Uh, just make a financial donation towards that market trunk or treat, and uh, we'll we'll apply it that direction. Those sound good. I know some of you. You're like, I have Halloween traditions. I do this and that. Um, I'm telling you, this is a kingdom impact, and so I encourage you, just take a leap of faith to step off of your tradition and come and be a part of a kingdom impact that night. So sign up at the Welcome Center, um, and ask ask the people out there more if you if you need more. So sound good. All right. So remember, first service, our, our giving is in our, our boxes right outside. Or use windoverhills.org on our online giving. And so uh, with that, why don't you stand up with me and we'll invite our praise team to send us out singing one more. <laughs> 